When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera. Joined this week by Mark Mosey. Uh, my f- I think Mark has become my favorite Everton post-match voice. Uh, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about my adoration for his performance on, on God, when was that? Thursday? No, wait. What, what's today? Today's wow. Wednesday. You are lost. Sunday. Mark. I'm lost. What day was that? Monday. <laughs> Monday, like days don't matter anymore. It's really, it's fine. Uh, and I'm also joined uh, once again for the, gl- yeah, with the uh, glorious return of Kate Riley James, uh, KJR, um, as she is for some reason referred to at, at times. Kate, how are you? I'm all good. I'm referred to KJR because Matt thinks it's really funny and because it really does annoy me. So, yeah. Yeah. Matt, you know, it's very particular things that Matt finds funny. So, you know, once you once you hone in on it, you don't you just got to he's going to probably beat it into you. So that's just how it is. Yeah, it's stuck. <laughs> Mark, um, we were talking before we hit record about my um, I don't know the best way to frame this. My 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 jealousy, my envy, my kind of bummed out sadness yeah despair i guess is the word about um the one of the side effects or byproducts of having a social media feed filled with people from europe um even though i know you guys aren't europe depending on you know who you talk to um (laughs) whatever in class we learned england's part of europe sorry um but it's now it's like my Instagram feed and my Twitter feed are full of people getting out again. And I just want everyone listening. And I know that 95% of you listening, maybe 90%, we got a fair few American subscribers, but I I would say that the majority of you listening, uh, I, I kind of hate you. And I, 
know that that's generally not something you want to say when you're trying to build an audience for a relatively new podcast. But I'm, I, I've had a tough, I, I've, I've had kind of a tough week um, because I'm going through that thing that I think a lot of us went through at the height of this, where some days you just wake up kind of bitter and angry. Uh, and you just, you're mad because you miss the normal rhythm of your life. Uh, I've talked several times about the fact that I miss traveling and I miss, I miss going to the movies with my wife. I miss, um, just going into a, going into the pub and just drinking with my friends and not having to think about anything. And I don't know, it just, sometimes it gets to you and uh, you go through days like that, but it looks like things over there, um, are, are starting to get. Uh, better. Um, can you guys give me uh, the basic update? Uh, are you still wearing, are, are you still needing to wear masks when you're out or, cause it looks like places are opening up again. I'm seeing more people out. So give me the, give me the 411. Well, masks has been the, the kind of controversial one, certainly over your side of the water, hasn't it? And up to, up to this point and up to and including tomorrow as we record, uh, masks have never really been a, a compulsory thing anywhere apart from public transport. Um, so that is now all set to change on Friday. And I think it's it, it's symbolic of the constant flux which this nation is in, in terms of dealing with the virus, and that we, we very quickly deem masks unnecessary and decide from the offset that they are not required. And then just as we are on the cusp, seemingly, of getting over this, we decide that masks are now compulsory and are going to take us over the line. Um, so that is set to come in on, on Friday over here, where um, I think it's, just, it's mainly just shops. Um, so here in our, our pharmacy, for example, we, we're not allowed to have any, any patients in as of Friday that, that haven't got a face mask on. Um, and whilst most people understand some of the reasoning for this, um, that there is clearly always going to be a bit of angst and, you know, general malaise over this this decision which has been taken at, at what seems to be a really late stage. Um, socially, I think yeah, that, that's where that's where your jealousy kicks in because as much as you can't go into a a news agent or a pharmacy for minor goods, you can go in the pub and not wear a mask and it's absolutely fine. Uh, and I, mm. <laughs> is it fine? I guess that's my question. Like, do oh. you feel, do you feel, because what, what I've, when we've gone through our dips in the numbers here, like the couple, you know, probably a month and a half ago, we were kind of going through what looked like the flattening of the curve. And so people started to kind of relax again with stuff like that. But I, I was telling Les this last week, we were talking about going back to the gym and things like that. It just, they can say it's okay, but I don't know. It'll take me a long time to trust that it's okay because of my own, I guess, newfound COVID-based hypochondria that's setting in. But yeah. what, what? How do you feel? Like, do you guys feel comfortable going into a pub without, you know, without a mask? Or, I mean, you have to take it off to drink your beer and eat your food. I mean, I know that, but I, I just mean in general, like indoor spaces. How do you feel about that? 
No, we've um, we took our first uh, trip out kind of as a family, I guess, um, uh, last week, last Wednesday, Thursday, uh, for the first time um, as the Walker Art Gallery opened in Liverpool. Um, I know most of the team there because it's somewhere that the kids are so familiar with. They're allowed to be kids. Um, and I know that they've gone to ridiculous lengths to ensure that not only is it safe, but people still feel like they've they've had an experience. You know, it's not like, oh, gosh, you know, you can you can come over you, you guys can come in you can come and see what we've got an offer but you must stand here and you must go this way around and you mustn't talk to people or touch anything etc and honestly we were in the gallery an hour and a half we came outside this is with a five and an eight-year-old and we felt like we'd gone back in time by four months it was like nothing had happened it was so lovely because they'd really gone you know to extreme lengths to ensure that people could enjoy it again um, so for me personally, I couldn't have cared whether the government had said that the, the pubs were open, you know, like four weeks ago and everything's fine now and you can go and it's going to be awesome and everything's gone back to normal. I still wouldn't have gone. Um, mm. And I can't, the amount of people who are complaining about the inconvenience of having to wear a mask when you go <laughs> indoors. Yeah. It's like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Okay. And I've seen so many cool analogies, you know, where where it's kind of like, I, I literally can't think of a single one off the top of my head, but it, <laughs> it makes you realize how utterly ridiculous it is that you're complaining. So it was literally three, four weeks into uh, the pandemic where it hit the UK and there was this massive panic over PPE. So about the fact that our NHS workers, our clinicians, you know, the, the likes of Mark doing his job, you know, right the way through weren't being protected. Um, and as a result, we've suffered a, a tremendous loss of, um, of of NHS workers and carers right across care homes and the like. So at the at that point, there was this kind of idea of, whoa, 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 don't go out and buy masks because there are people who genuinely need them. Right. You know, so we, we kind of stepped back a little bit and it was fine and we didn't need them. People on the front line do. I actually started sewing them. So that former life as a fashion student, I started sewing them more so because my family who have HHT, who have nosebleeds, when they wear the scratchy ones, they're more likely to have a bleed. So we made some fabric ones. You can wash them. They're safe. Um, we started giving them to the local Ronald McDonald house, which is at our children's hospital, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. type of thing. If I can't believe that we're four months further on. One, we're only making this mandatory now, which is utterly ridiculous. And two, people have still got the audacity to complain about it. Well, and what's what's funny, and you know, I, I think that we have a lot of the same symptoms you're describing in terms of our culture about yeah. all the weird arguments about not getting on board with this. But you know, it's a very. I, I was curious about the sort of the attitudes over there, and there are some shades of it, but. Um, you know, the, there's very, something very much in the um, American DNA to say no to things for as long as possible, yeah. regardless of any evidence whatsoever to the contrary about, you know, science. And, you know, like you say, you, you mentioned the word science and, you know, there are people here who'd be like, sounds like some Obama talk to me, you know, like some, <laughs> just, you know, like. Uh, I mean, th I, there are people here who just have the attitude that, that, you know, it's not really dangerous if you can't shoot it with a gun. So, mm -hmm. uh, what's the, what's the point, you know, I, wow. I, I think here, so the, the tides turned recently, I think in terms of more people wearing, kind of finally getting on board with the fact, the idea that, 
now the mask thing is no joke. I think what's helped the numbers in the UK and other places go down and flattening the curve compared to us, of course, is that you guys have had stricter, more stringent lockdown orders that we have not had. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, these a lot of politicians here are trying to straddle the line of like keeping the economy from collapsing. And and there are yeah. look, there are some genuine it's a I always say it's a point of privilege to be able to stay at home and work and, mm-hmm. you know, not be able to, you know, not suffer a loss of income. But that's just not the reality for most people. And so I, I get that there are genuine concerns about that. But there's when you try to straddle the line uh, when it comes to something like this, you end up getting those kinds of mixed results. And and that's Mm -hmm. now where we're at. And we're getting to that time of year where it's dawning on people that we may not have uh, football this fall, uh, you know, American football, you know, Uh, we may not have school uh, starting on time, which is beginning to happen. Uh, Students being forced to virtually attend school now going into the, to the, into autumn, which you just, I don't think people, I think people thought collectively this would just kind of, you know, that we would have gotten rid of this by now yeah. and we haven't. And so anyway, I, that's, that's your weekly COVID moan uh, from this side <laughs> of things. But I, I guess my point is, is just that I, I do envy the fact that you guys are starting to open up a little bit more, but I, I imagine there are still some of those sensitivities there. I, it's just that it, there was a point where we were a few weeks ahead of you guys in terms of everything that was happening. And now we are definitely feel like we're a month or two months behind. So it's um, um, it, it's certainly yeah. going to take some getting used to. So for instance, like next week, I'm going to go to Scotland for a few days. Um, I didn't know whether you knew so that Scotland and Wales and uh, Northern Ireland have had different lockdown rules to the rest of England and you know so we just booked an Airbnb place because what's the point in booking a hotel when it's not going to feel like a hotel and that you can't yeah. eat 50 quids worth of breakfast that you've actually only paid like 20 quid for no, and no housekeeping so, either I probably. know right yeah, um, yeah. so but you know the, the first conversation with the Airbnb host was like you know so what's what what's the score in the village you know if we walk if we rock up here and we go to the pub are we going to be like what the hell are you doing here? Or, you know, are we going to get a welcome or, you know, and, and because you want to play by the rules, but my God, I need a break. I've been at home for four months with my oh, kids yeah. every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm there's a, a few things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually traveling to Dallas, uh, this week weekend, yeah. uh, to go, um, to go see my, my father and my sisters. My father's got a, 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 a non COVID thing, but it's a, he's got a long-term health issue. And so I've, I've got to, you know, kind of go spend my time, make, you know, do, do have some FaceTime with my dad just to yeah. help uh, with my sisters and help carry the weight. And, you know, they've, they've all been doing the right things in regards to trying to keep, you know, do, do all the distancing and everything. And so I'm just, but I will say that I'm looking forward to just looking at a different set of walls than yeah, the, yeah. The ones that I currently am <laughs> forced to look at. So the, the take home from the last, obviously the last couple of weeks have been slightly different here because clearly as a nation we are trying to get back to to normal but mm-hmm. it, as soon as you start going down that road you said the word rob and economy rules all as, as, soon, yeah. as soon as you dangle and in particular i mean my experience of the last two weeks has been sort of sampling what bars and restaurants feel like in what is meant to be a new era it's no different and you we all we all kind of said these things during the three months prior to this that what is life going to look like etc 
main mantra of most companies from my experience so far is that we need to get back to, to normal and the the essence of the next couple of weeks is how do we drive our business forward again. And that that, that may just be the, the experience of, of the, the places that I've seen. But I know that we, we've been to, to a few different sorts of bars and restaurants now just to, to sample what sort of outdoor areas are like and where you do have to go inside, what sort of precautions are in place. I would say a good 80% it's like walking in there in February was that it is absolutely and clearly some places are different and they are trying to to greet you on the door and and take you to your table and and request that you don't sort of roam around the restaurant for example absolutely just rubber in the restaurant blowing on everyone yeah they (laughs) they frown on oh my god have you did you guys (laughs) (laughs) sorry go ahead I didn't mean to cut you off there no no but I think it's you kind of, you kind of, and businesses are guilty of this as well. And by all means, not all of them, but you, you kid yourself in so many elements of your life that this is going to be a defining point, point A of, of my life, or going to this particular restaurant or this particular shop. It's all going to be different, and I'm going to do this from now on. And as soon as you offer people a glimmer of what they see as yeah. normal, they snatch it, and that. Yeah. That is ultimately, regardless of how long it takes, that is the point that we were going to get back to, which is exactly where we were before. Because as much as people moan about how things were before, everyone craves normality at times like this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we are getting to the stage where this has gone on long enough that craving normality almost feels like nostalgia on some level. Like we, (laughs) we joke about, Hey, remember when we could all just, uh, (laughs) we could all just hug each other, hang out and, you know, shoot the shit. Like it's, it definitely feels like we've taken certain things for granted for sure. Um, I'm, whatever sense I had at the beginning of this, that it was kind of a, uh, maybe the bright side of this was that we've got to kind of pause in our lives to kind of reassess what's important. And it's, it's okay to maybe take a break from the world for a bit. I mean, that, that time has passed for me. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to, now I'm going to be traveling a bit. That's going to help me. Um, Of course, I'm going to be traveling just on the road and, you know, not on planes and, you know, in, in isolated circumstances at the end of August, I'm going to, um, Colorado, uh, it's a mountain area, mountain town called Crested Butte, which is gorgeous, just in the middle of the Rocky Mountains and going, getting a cabin there. And we're just going to drive and, and just, just again, get away, uh, for sure. But I honestly, I, I'm, I'm sad because I don't get to get over there to this, this year. Um, I, well, Rob, I, you've literally just like, you've just ruined all my Scotland now that Scotland just sounds crap now compared to Colorado. Well, hey, you know what? <laughs> Scotland is actually one of my, that's my goal is to go there next year. Uh, there's been talk yeah. of a, a Vera, a Vera brothers and, yes. and mom trip to Scotland and to, to Merseyside. So I think, so uh, cool. yeah, but no, I look, I've, I've never been to Scotland. Scotland sounds amazing. I've been to Colorado a bunch of times. Oh, look, all Colorado has got is beautiful scenery and <laughs> legal, legal marijuana. So I don't know that that's that great, honestly. So oh, damn it, Scotland. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna get, it's either going to rain the whole time or get uh, by midges, you know, fine. 
Well, look, guys, I, I think we've we've talked about negative stuff enough. Let you know, let's bring some sunshine into the discussion in, in that traditional way that we do and talk about Everton. Nothing <laughs> cheers us up like Everton, guys. Um, you like the way I said Everton there? It's almost like I'm forcing it out of my mouth. Uh, so I, I brought up at the beginning of this that um, that I'm a big fan of of the Mark Mosey Blue Room post match <laughs> podcast, and the reason for that is that when it's just him and Matt, they're able to somehow do a, po- a do a post match in under thirty minutes that is far more efficient and eloquent, uh, and you know so so comprehensively analytical whereas i realize that when i get when i when i am somehow inserted into that mix we have an hour uh, long post match on like a nil nil match <laughs> where we've said nothing at all and i've just rambled on about a ton of bullshit uh mark i your economy of words uh, your eloquence is very much appreciated uh, i really did appreciate and and note uh the way in which you, and this is not new, but the way in which you are able to analyze both a combination of what you see in that particular game combined with the the kind of the bigger long-term picture of where things are. I don't think, I think one of my favorite things about Mark, if I can say say this, uh, which I can, I'm going to, yeah. uh, is that Mark, uh, Mark and I are kindred spirits from the standpoint that I think we are aligned in the idea that a, one game is great, but we're not going to overreact to any one single per player performance. Like we're long-term, I'm a long-term viewer. Um, and you got to, you have to be kind of a long, big picture, long-term perspective person, especially when um, just in talking about how long this whole COVID thing has lasted. I was at Everton's first home game this season just to give you guys a sense of oh how long my God. that was in August. So uh, it's been almost a year. So it's been a long season. And as part and parcel with that, Mark, I have a long memory. And so I want to bring this, I want to broach the subject because we'll go down a couple of, of, of avenues with this, but yesterday was one of the, was the return of one of my favorite aspects of, of this life, which is uh, not only Everton Twitter, but Everton transfer Twitter, mm. and we'll get to we'll get to uh, Hoiberg and his overly uh, J-filled name uh, here mm. momentarily. But I I want to talk m- about more broadly this idea of what we have learned during the restart that is actually worth learning. And what I mean by that is I, a lot of us said before this restart, given that Everton had very little to play for very outside shot of Europe, which of course we choked that away almost as quickly as we possibly could, um, that there probably wasn't much to learn that we didn't already know. We already knew we didn't have a midfield. We already knew that, um, we struggled to score goals. We already knew that we had a some, a pretty shaky keeper. Um, you know, we've, we're, we've been around this team for a long time. We're familiar with exactly who they are. And I wasn't sure that this little mini, what has this been, eight? It's going to be a total of eight games, nine games nine. or whatever? Nine. I, I just wasn't convinced that I was going to learn anything new. Now, 
what I underestimated in saying something like that was that while everyone, I think there was a consensus that, yeah, this restart is whatever. And why are they even doing it? And what's the point? And blah, blah, blah. I think I got sucked into the idea that people would generally agree on the idea that there wasn't much to learn. And yet Everton Twitter and Everton fandom in general never ceases to amaze me and how one game or a run of a few games uh, can completely change all of the planning long-term, the opinions on players. I don't know if you guys know this, but we don't need a center half anymore uh, <laughs> because we've got an eight, a, kid, a kid who just turned 18 years old who might as well just you know start for the rest. Of, let's give him a 10-year contract now. Um, <laughs> I. Michael Keane, by the way, is completely reinvented himself. Like, there's a million of these things. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to take a take a, a huge shit on all of this because I do think that, for instance, Michael Keane has played well since the restart. I think that Jared Branthwaite excites me quite a bit. Um, he's he's he looks. I mean, he's. He, he he he's huge. He's a giant of a man and he's only 18 years old. It's frightening. He better not get any bigger or else he's not going to be able to move. But um, I think what I'm talking about though, and Mark, I want to turn this over to you because as inevitably we begin looking, uh, we were looking at this restart through the lens of being reacquainted with Everton's flaws and weaknesses. It inevitably, of course, connects us to what we think this thing needs, not only in from the transfer standpoint, but just in general of, of what we need to do to take the next steps. I, I want to ask you, and I have thoughts on it too, but I want to ask um, other than, I, and I'll throw this out as my, as my thing that I feel like I learned. I learned that Anthony Gordon is mm. got, has got real star potential and I want to see him play as much as possible. He's been a bit of a revelation to me. Other than that, I'm not convinced I've really learned anything definitively new that that fundamentally alters my thinking in regards to how Everton need to improve or build in the window or moving forward in general. Has anything in the restart really changed your mind? And Kate, we'll come to you after this as well. But has anything in this restart fundamentally changed the way you think about this team compared to uh, before the lockdown? Well, Generally speaking, I think if if we were going to say, have we learned anything? And that that was our quest once we realised that Europe was was totally out of the question. I am a big believer that you you learn things quickest when you do things wrong. Um, so, with that in mind, having watched Everton for the last nine games, I really hope that a lot has been learned because many things have been done wrong, and I think. <laughs> The main positive of the last two months that they've been back playing and back training is that Carlo Ancelotti has had the unfortunate pleasure of having to watch this team competitively and in training. Um, The fact that we have subjected a guy like Carlo Ancelotti to this football club is quite honestly a crime. And I apologise to him and his family ever being sucked anywhere close to this. Um, if, yeah. if we were going to dissect Everton and, and the specifics that we've learned, yes, I think that there has definitely been a, a shifting of the priority in terms of the transfer window. Uh, I, I wouldn't go all out and say that a centre-half is is not one of those priorities, but it, it, it's amazing, as you say, with 270 minutes of football, if that, that you, you look at 
what is essentially still a child who played League Two football this season and think, do you know what, we'll, we'll go with that. And, and, yeah, and reset. maybe maybe that is the case because there are so many other problems. I think if, if there weren't countless other issues in this squad, then that is probably an area that you'd look to strengthen. But I think we, we've all said it over, over the recent weeks and, and post-match podcasts that the, the issues are plentiful. And I think the, the main one for me and the Sheffield United game on Monday was probably the first time that we actually started to realise this, is that 4-4-2 was a parachute formation that Everton right. when they were in free fall. And Duncan Ferguson was absolutely right to do it at the time. And the players bought into it. They performed really well in a new setup. And it was absolutely what Everton required. But the more that we realised that we weren't in that situation of free fall anymore and we actually were trying to develop some form of structure and some form of identity going forward, I think we very quickly realised that four four two plays no part in that. It suits very few of our players. Um, you'd probably look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin and say he is absolutely the one who it does suit. Um, right. you're, you're getting into very dangerous debates about which players' development you sacrifice in favour of others. Um, I, I would probably say, I don't think it's unfair to say that we are not in a position where we sacrifice Everton on the big scale for Dominic Carvert-Lewin. Um, but it, it, it took merely 45 minutes of football to see just how much more comfortable everyone in that setup was, including Carvert-Lewin up top when there was more numbers in midfield. Um, Mark, can I, can I interrupt you there quickly? Because speaking of long memories, uh, we, we reverted to what I lovingly refer to now as the, um, the de facto Marco Silva formation of 4-2-3-1, which we saw yeah. plenty of struggle with. <laughs> and so I, 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 forgive me if I am going to you know, be a little bit hesitant after one game to think this solves everything. But to your point... Are with what midfielders we have, and even if we add to this in the offseason, it doesn't really feel like 4-4-2 gets the most out of these players that will absolutely be like, regardless of how you feel about Gilfi or Andre Gomez, those guys are gonna be around next season. The money is too big for them not to be. And so I, I do think that a three-man midfield, whether it's four-two-three-one or four-three-three, is pretty necessary. But I also I, I also just am worried about the I, like I want to see. And we only have one game left before our super long, you know, six week break before the next season. Oh my starts god! Or don't whatever. get me started. I mean, yeah, I know, right? Um, but but uh, you know, I'd like to see them run out an unchanged side and do that again. Uh, you know, I, I just it, it feels it feels like. Um, it feels like we we do make the tweak, we make the change, we get a very short term boost from it. But I, I guess what I what I wonder is what is it going to take to to fundamentally get more consistency of results? And and Kate, I I'll turn to you on this too because I, I know that we haven't talked in a few weeks, but I assume you've been been watching uh, these games to a degree. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, I know you sound really you know plussed about this. I, I sound um, like I watch them. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, you know, for me, it's still, it's, it's, I I struggle with a couple things because on the one hand, I feel like there's a clear need for reinforcements that we all sort of agree on. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I also think that the idea that some people have that they can name five players who they're just tired of watching and that yeah. we should just get rid of them. I don't think people really realize how much, how, how, how not easy it is to not only bring in new players, but also as we've learned very painfully to, mm-hmm. to get rid, to quote, get rid of players. And so if you, once you kind of accept the fact that guys like Gomez and, and, and I'm still, I still see so much. I still see the idea in Gomez, so I'm I'm not as mad at him as some people are, and I know he needs to do more. Um, he really does, but you know, like I, I'd love Gilfie to be gone, but he's not going to be gone. Uh, I'd love yeah. for um, you know, I I I just I'd love for for the right back uh, situation to be upgraded. I would love, uh, you know, there's a lot of things, but. Are we still are are we just stuck in this perpetual cycle in terms of our expectations of Mm. thinking that there are quick solutions uh, to problems that really are going to require uh, something more in regards to our patience and trusting that the manager has a plan? Because uh, (laughs) I'm not convinced after the Hoiberg uh, kerfuffle yesterday on Twitter that we really that people's expectations are are really that realistic at this point. Yeah, you you lead in there. with what you said about, you know, just being so quick to kind of jump in, you know, right, this will be the solution. We're just basically going to can half the team this summer and, you know, we'll just sign a couple of players will be fine. We can muddle through and it's all going to be fine because Ancelotti's at the helm. Um, but how quickly we there were, there were shouts of, I think we even trended with a hashtag of Ancelotti out at some point over the last few weeks. Oh, those says, people can... Those people everything, get exactly. Everything you need to know about our fan base. However, that said, what I found quite interesting through Project Restart, um, a couple of weeks ago, it might even have been last week now, on Mailbag, there was a shout about how much a shift up or a change in captaincy could have on the team through next season. Um, and it, you know, it went out I'm to I'm so opinion. tired of talking about the captain issue, but whatever. Go ahead, <laughs> wait, 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 because there's a reason for this. Yeah. Um, I think, um, and I don't know whether you'll, you'll feel the same as well, uh, the, the fan base is getting a little bit tired of seeing Seamus wheeled out um, yes. and the platitudes. And, and I feel like, and, and, you know, obviously each to their own, I feel like that's starting to become part of who Seamus is and I get that it goes hand in hand with the captaincy but we kind of know a little bit more about his character having took himself up to a certain dressing room after a certain incident and that became bigger than what actually happened Um, Uh, and I can't help but feel the one thing that I've kind of learned I guess over over the project restart and that I'm hopeful for um, because I'm totally not like you guys and then I get completely head off after one game where we showed even just a moment of brilliance and for me we're gonna we're gonna smash it and we're looking at champions league next season um the the one thing that i would love um is to see somebody like mason holgate given the captaincy genuinely completely shake it up let's bring it you know bring somebody in who's not only you know he's, he's paying his dues he's digging hard he's performing he's really well liked but he's he's dynamic and i would love to i genuinely love to see somebody step into that role and, and make it their own because as a fan base not only have we gotten so bored of the platitudes but now even so so many people gave Seamus loads of kudos the other day when it was like listen we were shit right and it wasn't good enough but 
we're getting too used to that now as well. And, and it really isn't good enough now. There's no layer below that for the club to come out and just go, yeah, you're, you're right. We shouldn't be in the Premier League. That's the next rung. So I yeah. would love to see, uh, I would love to see some authority attached to somebody who we feel like we can actually believe in, who feels like right. they want to be at the club and that they can, they can actually bring about a bit of a change. Well, and and this speaks to, I think even just getting onto this kind of ancillary issue about the captain speaks to the broader issue of the fact that there's not, there's not a magic bullet that just solves everything. Yeah. And that, that also means that, don't get me wrong, if you, if you can bring in two or three really quality players, you can win more games because better players win games. And that's, that's, that's your hashtag sports science fact of the day right there. <laughs> um, good players are good. Uh, but, um, as we've seen, um, as we've seen ever, it feels that Everton need an internal cultural change that even goes beyond the manager who of course is a big part of this. There's no one I would rather want. I'd want in charge more than Carlo Ancelotti right now. It's a dream that we've got him. And I think he has got, he's the kind of calm, cool, collected, seen everything, done everything sort of guy that you need right now. And I'm, as long as for, for whatever reason, I guess, other than the money, he's, he's, uh, he's down for this challenge of, as Mark said, going through the intolerable cruelty of watching (laughs) Everton every week. But um, you're right. Like, look, I don't want to get too deep into the captain talk, but regardless of how you feel about Seamus Coleman, he's been at the club for over a decade now. Okay. Mm -hmm. The, the, the idea that Seamus Coleman, uh, who has, whether he has been the captain or not, he has been the lead, one of the primary leaders in the dressing room for a decade now, essentially. And, you know, like, I, I think that this is less about your feelings on him as a player or as a voice or whatever. And it's more about the idea of it's just time to turn the page. Yeah. It's time. It's time for those who have. And look, I'm going to say something that's going to sound cruel because this is not a testament to his effort, his endeavor, the fact that we've gotten uh, a lot out of him for what we paid. And there are songs that have certainly been written and sung about it. And we all get that. Um but the facts are the facts, whether you're talking about uh, Mikel Arteta or you're talking about Tim Cahill or you're talking about um, Seamus Coleman, um, our, quote, recent legends of this club are all characterized by the fact they've never won anything and have been uh, essentially overseeing, in terms of, quote, leadership, a culture at Everton that over the last half decade or so has continuously deteriorated to the point that we are constantly asking, where is the accountability? Where is the consistent effort? And this is something we have asked across how many managers now? So this yeah. is not, you know, the I, like, it's, I, I'm not even mad at Seamus Coleman anymore. I'm just thinking that to your point, it's, it's time to start rebooting everything. And that might be saying, you know, let's, let's consider who the leadership and, you know, officially is in, in terms of the dressing room and so on. But back to the idea of, of what this thing needs. I, I also, I also am curious about what our expectations are. And Mark, I, I want to talk a little bit about yesterday. Um, I, 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 
ended up, I had a couple of tweets where I talked about the notion that, that I, my job or my role in the Blue Room or on Everton Twitter or whatever you want to call it is certainly not to be knowledgeable about football. I certainly am not knowledgeable about football. It is to ask questions at times or to make observations that I think at times are not being made or asked. And I don't know why, but I feel like that's my, 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 my soft spot to figure in here. Um, and we are a culture of, of truisms. And what I mean, what I mean by that is that there are things we say about how it is or how it should be that we should be challenging sometimes, whether it's, you know, player power or it's, uh, you know, what it means to be an Everton player or uh, we need a manager who knows the club. Like I, there are things that I think that are we just need to disabuse ourselves of, because once you start peeling the layers back from these these notions, you realize that they, they don't make a lot of sense. And there are two of them primarily, one of which, Mark, is where I'm going to probably quibble with you a little bit. And I'm I'm curious about. But the first one is this idea that, you know, we only need to be recruiting players for whom Everton is their first choice. And I, I, I find that hilarious because <laughs> I wouldn't choose Everton and I love Everton <laughs> and I wouldn't choose Everton if I had a choice to do this over again. I mean, I love you guys, but fuck this, man, this has been awful. Um, uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not all been awful. Like talking to you guys is cool, but you know what I mean? Um, no sane person, uh, especially when you consider the age of the players that we're targeting, none of this, these guys have been around for Everton being v- good. Mm-hmm. So I, whatever that means, and, and I get that, that 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 sometimes what they mean is, well, if they're coming from another club, they should view Everton as their step up, and and they shouldn't be quibbling about be, wanting to go to Spurs instead or blah blah. I'm like, you know, Spurs haven't won anything technically, but they've been in the top four to six for you know perennially now for a while. They've made it to a Champions League final. Checks my notes last season, <laughs> right? Like I. Uh, you know, let's let's be real here. Um, there's there's a reason why certain players are going to have preferences, you know, based on just objective facts like winning games and being on TV and you know, you know, just branding and high profile marketing and crap like that. But I do think that we need to understand that that we've got to part of recruitment when you're a mid table team who's not been winning anything lately is probably paying more and making a good pitch and saying, Hey, yes, we're not Spurs, but we've got opportunity here. Like you've got to find ways to, to hone your message in that regard. So I think that's one, but the other one is one that really gets to the question that I want to ask you guys, which is what do we want out of recruitment this summer? And, and I, what I mean by that is not, do we need a midfielder? I, we all know that like we need midfielders. We need, we need certain positional things. My wish list would include a new keeper, but I'm probably not going to get that and those sorts of things. But I think what I'm asking is, is what do we want out of Marcel Brands? Because it feels like as I watch the Hoiberg uh, fume go throughout its many layers in 24 hours yesterday, I heard everything from he would improve us to he's just another Morgan Schneiderlin, which I don't get why, because I guess because he's a white midfielder who played at Southampton. I, I'm not really sure what the <laughs> I guess he's a holding midfielder, too. So, OK, um, you know, to um, I don't want a guy that that prefers Spurs over us to 
why are we going after guys that we've heard of before? And Mark, even I've heard you, I, I think you had tweeted something to this, to this effect uh, probably a week ago, maybe it was uh, in the last week or so. And Matt, and Matt has this notion too, like when is brands going to get some hidden gem like that, you know, when he's going to get these guys we haven't heard of and, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not going to totally, totally crap on this idea because I get what you're saying, which is, you know, isn't part of his job to sort of think outside the box and unearth certain, uh, you know, I always hear these unfinished diamonds or whatever. I've heard all kinds of, of metaphors for it, but my thought is, and, and I don't want to oversimplify it. I want to, I want my, my, my belief in what Marcel Brand's job is, is that his job is to get better players than we have now and to get rid of players that we don't want. And I don't really care if I've heard of them or if I haven't heard of them. Um, the results will be the results. But it does feel at times, and Mark, I'm going to turn this over to you. It does feel at times like we want Marcel Brands to thread this me- needle, which is we want X player, but we don't want them from this league uh, because like if it's from the premier league, well, that's too obvious. Or if it's from this other league, we're good with that, but we don't want it to cost too much. Cause why are we paying this much for a guys from this league? But if we pay too little and like, yeah, but this guy won't be good for at least two seasons. He's too young. He's like, like it just seems like quite a needle to thread in regards to what is it that you want out of Marcel brands. I, I just want better players and I don't really care what package they necessarily come in as long as they are, you know, the, the fee and the age and everything kind of lines up. I mean, what, what do we, what, why do we care so much about the, the aesthetics of, of it? And Mark, you can tell me what your thought process is on that, because I don't understand why people were turned off by Hoiberg when he's 24 and he is uh, a captain and he is, a, you know, statistically speaking, a very fine holding midfielder who breaks up play and gets intercepted. Like, it seems like what we need, but I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's just too obvious of a choice. So <laughs> tell me, Mark, what is it we need? What, is, what does Marcel Brands need to do to satisfy the masses this summer? Uh, I'm going to start this by saying that Everton are really boring. Um, and on the back of <laughs> I, I'm ready to see Everton taking gambles. And I don't know if I could tolerate another transfer window of going and buying the bottom half of the Premier League's quote-unquote better players and seeing if they can kind of do it at a slightly higher level but also not quite be good enough to take us to a slightly higher level. And that that's that's one of the concerns with Hoiberg. I'll say at this point now, I'd be I'd be very happy to sign him, um, but there would always be that frustration of Joe. It, it's a very lazy thing to say we'll go and get the next Hoiberg or the next anyone, but I, I think I'm ready to see Everton take more risks in the transfer market because, generally speaking, we haven't done that over recent years. We've spent a lot of money essentially buying players who we knew would work in this league. We knew that players like Gilfie Sigerson and Ashley Williams were going to propel us to the next level because we'd seen them do it for, for fellow Premier League clubs. Um, we're 11th in the league and, and we are arguably worse than we were now. And I think the, the major problem that Everton have in the market is their own wealth. As soon as... Yes, as soon as other football clubs know that we are, A, on an upward curve in terms of trying to propel ourselves very quickly, um, 
every single club in the land has heard of Farhad Mashiri and knows how much money he's got. And everyone will take Everton to the cleaners for any footballer. Um, and, and that is where the concerns do come in over players like Hoiberg. Put all the Tottenham stuff aside because I totally agree with you, Rob, that if, if you offer Hoiberg, yes, Ancelotti is a draw, but go and play. Go and play in the Champions League for Jose Mourinho. It's not necessarily a downturn in fortunes, but as soon as football clubs know that we are sniffing around, all of a sudden this player who has one year left on his contract is still worth twenty-five to thirty million pounds, which is baffling. I, I think maybe it would it would be a longer term turnaround. Maybe it would mean getting a couple of players in and. And saying, do you know what? It is going to take a couple of a couple of years to to hit full potential. Part of Marcel Brands' job, I, I think, in many ways, he is hindered by his role at PSV because his his role there was very much a business one. It was going by someone for no more than two million pounds, progress them through your system for three years, sell them for a profit, repeat. And it was never going to be like that at Everton because we that's not how we make our money. And our goals, ridiculous as it is to compare us to PSV, who are in their own right very successful domestically and and internationally as well, our goals are very different. The the whole scope and structure of the Premier League is is such that fortune and glory in this league is so hard to achieve. So his role was always going to be different. But I think to take a step back on what Everton have been, certainly from from a, a business mind in the last ten years, I don't think it's any great surprise that you would say that our our fortune in the transfer market has significantly decreased, given that more money is now in the pocket. And I think the problem with that is we, for so many years, we saw an Everton team under David Moyes who could only get certain players, but they were driven to this club through hunger and desire. And and they are things that should come as a bog standard for any person in sport. But I think we've got a new manager now who has been here for five or six months. And he's already saying in press conferences and no doubt behind closed doors as well, he's questioning our mentality, our professionalism, the, the attitude of the club. I mean, his, his first year in charge should surely be about focusing on the technical aspects of, of the footballers that are there and certain ways of play and, and the, the tactics behind how his Everton is going to look. He spent half of his time thinking about why is this club full of failure? And, and that is essentially what it has been for, for so long. And I think we we saw Manchester if he knows he can. T- I'd love to know if he's got an answer. I'd certainly oh, love to know. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, he built it in a in a similar fashion when they had money as well, and it's it's very hard to get that balance act between going out and and doing lots of nice marquee things in transfer windows, but also finding football players with the the inbuilt passion to win. And I think that that is the main angst of Everton fans watching the club at the moment because. I, maybe I propel this club far beyond what it ever should be viewed as, but I think intrinsically this is one where the fans are so connected and you you literally feel the heartbeat of that club as soon as you get anywhere near that stadium. And and, and that, that might just be through blue tinted glasses, but 
we we can suss out someone whose heart is not in it from the start. And I think we're, mm-hmm. the Hoiberg thing is dangerous because if Everton go and sign him now, he is only half a season away from becoming Everton's Morgan Schneiderlin in terms of how the fans view him because he will always get the he wishes he was at Tottenham line thrown at him. And I think we're, we're just ready. And th- this is why so many of our fans have become so invested in our younger and in particular, our Scouse footballers, is because we want that sense of belonging and that sense of meaning from our footballers. We want we want Everton to mean as much to them as it does to us. And in reality, but I mean, is that realistic? I, you know, not because we've already we've already mentioned it about captains as well. For me, I want the captain to be someone who the players respect in the dressing room, and and that's where it ends. I don't care what they say in public because. It's naive to think that they care about what what they say. We, we all know how footballers speak in public. It is very much predetermined. I don't want to hear from them in between games. They don't want to hear from us in between games. I just want you to show me what you're doing. And you get a player like Mason Holgate who performs very well. Part of me doesn't want to subject him to that role. I if if things are going well for Mason Holgate, I don't want him. <laughs> On that, on that pedestal of hatred, which the Everton absolutely is. Um, but to the original point of the of the transfer window, I think I'm just ready for change, and, and that's both on and off the pitch with Everton because I feel like we we've played we've tried to play it safe, but at an, an extraordinary cost, and it's not really got us anywhere. And I'm I'm just ready to be surprised by this football club again, and albeit. I obviously want that to be a nice surprise. I want Everton to finish fourth and say, oh, look how great a season that was. I also want it to be quite fun. I want, uh, how long have we said, looking at these current set of players, I I can't really connect with any of them. If any one of those players left, other than Richarlison, would any of us really care that much now? And ironically, the, the one who is fundamentally set to break all of our hearts is Richarlison because clearly his quality will take him there. But yeah. we're ready to have that that collective feeling that Everton should be. And we, we've said it for years, all of this, you know, like or low, the, the, the people's club motto, There, there is a sense of community about this football club that doesn't exist in many others. And I think the, the more that you throw money at things and the more that you you churn out performances that we've seen from certain individuals who who clearly don't really care that much about Everton. The that sense of community you you long for again. Mm-hmm. Well, and Kate, I, I guess you know I hear what Mark is saying, and you know these are all things I've thought about a lot too in regards to you know what is the what's the change in approach you've got to make, and I keep coming back to this idea that. That what Mark is saying is true, but but some elements of that seem to be at odds with what we also say we want, yeah. and and that's I, I think that's where I struggle too. Which is okay. I let's say we are going after players uh, that most you know more of us uh, have not heard of, maybe a little more obscure, who would view Everton as this clear step up for them uh, if given the opportunity. Like I, I think that that can be that can be an element of some of the players you recruit, but I don't think you can go full hundred percent with just those types of players yeah. because a, we have a, 
we have uh, a manager who is not exactly in his the the prime of his youth at this point. <laughs> who's who's not here? Like he signed a long term deal, and I'm glad, and I hope he fills you know fulfills that entire contract. But you know he didn't come here to you know play like. I think he came here with the idea that he can do multiple things at once. He can develop, he can be part of the development of some of these younger players. Like you see, he's genuinely excited to work with Jared Branthwaite. He's genuinely excited to work with Calvert Lewin. Um, Richarlison, same thing. Like, I don't think that that's, that's uh, overstated or disingenuous from his standpoint, but I think he also believes that I, I also need guys who are ready to come in and make a difference now, not three years from now when mm -hmm. I may not be here and when we may be, you know. So I, I sometimes am at odds with people who say it's got to be all one way or the other. I feel like you can have a layered approach and and there's there's got to be a way to do it that uh, enables us to 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 move forward. And, and the problem, I guess, and, and I guess, Kate, this is where I'd come to you in terms of this is the kind of tough needle to thread as part of this as well, which is that if you want players who view Everton as this big step up, you're going to run into the reality though, that sometimes the players that are actually talented enough to make a difference and move that needle are those who have other choices. They have other options. And so sometimes you have to go to them and pay them more and make a more lucrative offer to get them here. And you have to hope that they still have the character um, to, you know, and, and ability to have a good working relationship and be professional enough, et cetera, with the, with Angelotti to, to be able to, because like, think about all of our jobs. I mean, I don't, I, I think we think of football players as being inflexible at times and maybe they are, but like, I never took Hoiberg's preference for Spurs to mean that he would never, ever consider coming to Everton. Now yeah. it looks like he's going to go to Spurs anyway, but it's like any of us in our jobs. We all like having jobs. I particularly like the company I work for. But my heart is not so set on that that I'm willing to cut my nose off to spite my face and just go. You know, if I end up going somewhere else, I'm just going to not try. Like, I just don't think it, it. I think that we have caricatured players to be that they're either for Everton or they're for money and that there's no in between. Yeah. And and I, I just wonder what, what what is it? What what kind how, how how can we be more realistic, Kate? I guess is the question I would ask you. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like, you know, shopping for players has become a PR exercise now as opposed to, you know, a, you know, a skill mm. and, and, and a tactic and a, you know, and a, and a player history thing. Um, it makes me wonder when you, so if we look at, look at Tom and Dom in particular, right? So we, we know what they do. We know what they're paid to do. We know where they've come through either academy, you know, with Tom in particular, he's homegrown. He should tick a lot of boxes. We'd all like him to be a lot better than what he currently is away from the pitch when they hit up New York Fashion Week in particular we saw a side of those players that that one we didn't expect to two blew us all away for various reasons and yeah. it, it set off this kind of catalyst that we've not really seen since football has kind of bridged over which was kind of like you know 90s-ish with the whole with the with the I'm sorry but with the shite in the red in the white suits and stuff and you know when the Spice Boys kind of kicked off and then all of a sudden we were more interested in them in their personalities and which Spice Girl they were dating and that type of thing but we've not had that for such a long time and now it's almost like we've gone so far the other way in that it makes me wonder that what's happening with with football agents where are they now having to manage more of their clients you know kind of media presence and and more of their 
media personality and how they're viewed off of the pitch. Because if you're saying the wrong thing, and that's going to mess up a deal for you, especially with a club that's so community orientated like ours is. In that, if you if you snub us, and that oh well, I'd rather be at Spurs, then we don't want you anyway. So, is it coming down to is this like a newfangled thing where agents are now having to? I mean, you know, I know that it's not just about brokering the deal, but going forward, are they going to have to start having more of a say in in how you conduct yourself as a professional sportsman or sportswoman? Um, because it's having a knock-on effect as to how the fan base views that footballer. Because, it, you know, in the, like you've said, I don't think you can go all or nothing. I don't think you can expect to be, you know, oh, I've always wanted to play for Everton. You know, this is it's my absolute dream. It's the only club I ever wanted to go for and come out and say that. Because, you know, if your career at the, at the club is short-lived and then you go somewhere else and you come out with, once again, the same platitudes. Mm. It, it was how quick that we judge our players. So let's look at Tosin, for instance. The minute he went out on loan, you know, and there's pictures of him, like, you know, like kissing the crest and all the rest of it. And it dents their integrity. And it, it, den- it dents their their authenticity to an extent. Because how quickly but can you... should be, it? How quickly I mean, can you be Everton one day and, you know, whoever the next... Because these guys are as loyal; they are loyal to the to the entity that gives them their paycheck. Guys. I mean, I exactly. think we are we have romanticized it. And don't get me wrong; I, I I think that even our even look at our legendary players too. Most of them didn't, you know. I, I think that it's safe to say that most of them's uh, their affection for Everton came after being at Everton for a while and after they left Everton when yeah. they realized Mindsight. because because I think Everton uh, is the sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> an acquired taste, if you will. But Everton is one of those things that you can't really appreciate fully until you're in it. And our expectation that players, and I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to paint this with a broad brush because I don't think it's as simple as I'm expecting uh, that there are people uh, in our fan base who are expecting them to have always been Everton fans. Cause I don't think that's what they're saying. I think, mm. I think what a lot of people are saying and their, their argument is, is a, a fair argument. They're saying, that they want players who view Everton as uh, their, you know, destination, their their big step, their big break. If I think big break is maybe the way to put it. Like, yeah. oh my God, Everton want me. The, the, I guess the bottom line is is that a lot of those same players now also have other clubs interested in them that could also represent a big break to them as well. And and we don't need to get weirdly personal and territorial about them having a preference or a lean here that like maybe just growing up in American sport where uh, there is much broader player power with things like free agency and so on. And don't get me wrong. We get mad when a we get sad if a player leaves our team and goes and signs somewhere else. But generally speaking, I, I don't expect that the new players that have signed for uh, you know, like the Dallas Cowboys or something like that. Uh, gr- they had to grow up and view the Cowboys as the greatest thing ever. You know, some some of them do for some reason, but the Cowboys haven't won anything since Everton won anything. But yet, <laughs> you know, people still talk about them that way. I just think that it's it's that you know these are still professionals who, you know, I think we need to give the opportunity. Like let's let's not try to do too many things at once. Like let's let's hope that we can get a deal done for them. And then when they get here, that the value, the culture, the manager, all the things that we say we love about this club will make that impression on yeah. them over time. And, and they'll grow into that relationship. It's almost like we expect these guys to have 
uh, spouse-like feelings before the first date. Does that make <laughs> so, sense? Like it, straight up, then. So if a, if a player was to make a statement that was completely straight up and just go, "Yeah, I I I got the deal that I wanted, so I'm happy," and they were straight up and that they they essentially said that it was about the money, would you have more respect for them then? Would you have the same level of respect for them if they'd have come out and said, "I, I want to be at Everton. I've wanted to be at Everton for a long time." Yeah. Well, to your point, though, I think it can be disingenuous because who cares? Like, I don't I don't expect that they need to explain to me, um, you know, their justification for coming to a contractual deal. I mean, I, look, uh, the the they if we recruit them successfully, we make a pitch to them. It's like selling anything um, and they agree to join. Then they've they've made a commitment to us. And that commitment is their statement. You know, we always say that that actions speak louder than words. The action of them agreeing to a deal is what matters to me. Mm-hmm. Now, post signing the deal, their actions on the pitch in regards to consistent effort and all these other things certainly matter. And they can be judged on that. But I, I frankly think we overstate the importance of you know, how much lip service and, and kissing of the ring they need to do with, with Everton before they get here to, uh, to satisfy us to a degree. But I I don't think the hunger has to be for Everton. I think the hunger has to be to improve. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As you say, we're we're never going to get Everton fans who are bought up 40 and sign them for for 5 million quid because it's not going to happen. But Mm -hmm. just, I'm ready for Everton to stop being the club after the club that took the gamble. Um, people, yes. Agree. Yeah, yeah. Someone took a gamble on Hoiberg and, and it worked and Everton come along and they rub their hands because this is where the gamble pays off. And there's there's countless players in recent history like uh, Riyad Mahrez, Idrissa Gay when Aston Villa signed him, uh, Leandro Trossard, who's down at Brighton now, who who Brighton brought in from Belgium is absolutely tearing it up. And I get it that these don't think these things don't always work, but they are inexpensive mistakes to make. And Everton have done them themselves. I mean, my my main drive for Everton changing their transfer policy this summer is purely from a business point of view because I am sick of seeing this club getting its pants pulled down for rubbish footballers and then making massive financial losses on them. And at times we did it right, and albeit it doesn't always work. And Nikola Vlasic was an absolute iconic example of this because we went out and took a gamble on someone who, don't get me wrong, our scouts had only watched once in a game again. <laughs> so we went out and paid £12 million for him, which probably looked a lot, but in the grand scheme of, of this business, is it really? And in an alternate universe, it may well have worked. And there were definitely glimmers there of, a, a, a prime footballer and he's he showed in Russia that he is more than capable but we'll look back at someone who okay we took a gamble on it didn't quite work so we sold him for 15 million pounds and no one thought anything else of it and as much as we're not all here just to make money we want to see our own football club progress and Nikola Vlasic unfortunately wasn't part of that I think the there is only so long that you can keep throwing money at this thing as we've always said before it crashes and my main concern is that we are not Manchester City and until Usmanov signs that contract it, we're never <laughs> if he comes in and lashes a billion pound at it and says do you know what go and have a lot of fun, lads, make some mistakes. It doesn't really matter. 
he's that reckless. I don't want Everton to be that reckless. So I think I'm I'm just ready to see us have some form of acumen at that level, as opposed to always feeling like we are the chumps of the market. And I think it, that's how it mm-hmm. how it feels a lot of the time. Well, and and it, I think too that the other way in which I would argue people ought to maybe consider their expectations with all this too, is that we have said we wanted the director of football to come in and do multiple things, which was not only recruit, but also uh, get rid of players, you know, that we didn't want. He's gotten rid of plenty of those bad contracts. It's not an easy trick. He's done that pretty effectively. He's also, I'm sorry, say that again. I'm beyond Everton's board at the same time. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, but also, um, you know, for, for everyone screaming, well, why can't we have signed young players that are just kicking ass right now? And like, well, you know, for every James Madison, there's 10 other players that are going to take a little more time. I mean, you know, I don't think that you can, with intellectual honesty, say that the investments strategically he's made uh, in – Jared Branthwaite or Moise Keane or, you know, like he's this uh, Nkuku uh, guy, the French left back. Like they're, you know, some of these signings have happened. It's just that until you see, until you see them actually pay off, uh, you know, we, you don't really want to acknowledge that, that, that some of those things are happening that we, we say we want to happen. It's just that the results don't always come as fast as we want it. But to, to your point, though, and, and this is where I'm going to segue into my last topic here, because this is the idea that I am now kind of semi-obsessed with. But it, it speaks to this in terms of being shrewd, having acumen about what not only having acumen in the transfer market, But part of being smart in the transfer market is not just identifying targets, but also knowing what your current resources actually are and how they can be leveraged to, you know, help with that overall balance. So one of the best, and I started talking about this when we were talking about the restart initially, one of the best revelations for me during this restart that I did not expect, but is now squarely in front of us is that Michael Keane has played very solidly. I mean, he still has his moments, and you don't want him in space because you see that a couple times, and he still looks like a baby giraffe out there if you get him into too much space. But there's no arguing that Michael Keane has come back in good, uh, you know, with good fitness. Uh, he has looked up for it. He has been very solid. Now I want to ask the question that I think needs to be asked, because if you're talking about thinking outside the box and you're talking about not going with the most obvious approach, if we are considering the center back position next season, um, let's say, let's just go ahead and, and assume that we are going to still pursue another center half. Let's just assume that we are. Um, I, I still believe that Gibson and Branthwaite probably need to be out on loan or you keep Gibson as your fourth. St- Branthwaite, I've been very impressed. I'm excited about him, but he's a kid. Mm. And I think that him not playing, like being a fourth center back is not as valuable as him playing, you know, more often, but whatever. The, 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 the idea before the restart that everyone was on board with, if you'll recall, was that we were going to go out and sign and, and we're, we're going to use G- Gabriel as a placeholder because he's the name that's been most linked with us. Whether it happens or not, whatever. But we, we talked about we need to get another starting caliber or top three center half in. Okay, What no one expected at that time, uh, because if I had asked you at the, before the restart, what if we could get 25 million or basically our money back on Michael Keane? Would you take that deal now? Everyone would have taken it. Everyone would have taken it, but they would laugh because they would think that's ridiculous. 
Now, I don't think that's so far-fetched. I think he's played pretty well. He's been really solid. And so my question is this. Is Michael Keane more valuable to us next season as the third or fourth center half, or is he more valuable to us in the fee that he could potentially command by striking now? Because, make no mistake, if we bring in another center half, that guy is coming in to start or be in the regular three-man rotation at center half, right? Michael Keane will never be more valuable than he is right now, given his age and given uh, you know just essentially where he's been performing and he's been trending. So my question is, would you rather us, would you, would you rather us sell him and get the fee for him now and invest that into another midfield difference maker or a right back or a wing player or something like that? Um, Or do we stand pat? Because if we stand pat and we keep these, the same center halves that we have now, are we really going to expect real improvement if we just return the same guy? It's a, it's not an easy question. And so Mark, I'm going to start with you on that. Kate and I definitely want to hear your, your thoughts on it as well. I think if, if we are, if we are realistically going to progress that central defensive two or three, then you probably take the fee because I, I realistically think now that if Keen, Holgate and Mina stay at the club, which they, they probably will, I personally don't think that Everton will go out and get someone to seriously rival them. Uh, I, I, okay. I can honestly foresee a, a situation whereby, yes, we do let people like Gibson and Branthwaite go out on loan. Um, I'm not sure Lewis Gibson would be happy about that because I think he's done quite a lot of, of the loaning out now and is probably eager personally for that step up. But I think if those younger players do depart temporarily, then we probably would be relatively happy to bring someone in as third or fourth choice and let those three that we've got now battle for the two positions. And that that's just possibly not what I would do, but that is how I would see it going. I think the only way that we go out and buy an esteemed central defender for whatever the fee may be is if we get rid of one of them. Um, and, and that is primarily down to a lot of the the priorities that we have all over the pit. Uh, I honestly don't see us going out and spending, what, 25 million possibly on on Gabriel and then letting them four battle it out whilst still having yeah. the poorer midfield that we have. I think it's a testament to Michael Keane that he has performed so well in recent weeks because he agreed. he's someone who historically during his time at Everton, we've said that, everything around him has to work perfectly for him to excel. The the run of games that we had um season season before last of you know playing Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea all at home right. was excellent. Um but the whole system was excellent. And that's yes. that's not to downplay his role in those games, but it worked because Everton were working. And what has impressed me most is that Jordan Pickford has been in poor form. Our midfield mm-hmm. has been non-existent, but Michael Keane has still been there. And the, yep. the main reason I would I would side with what I would guess your view is, Rob, in that I would happily take the fee for him is because he has he has far too much frailty in his game to convince me that he is capable of of taking Everton on. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it, it worked at Burnley again because it was it was so regimented his role. He everything about his success 
was on the back of Sean Dyche's setup. And it, it's never really going to be like that at Everton. And I appreciate that I am in no way comparing Carlo Ancelotti to Sean Dyche here. But the, <laughs> the whole thing is not for that sort of rigid four at the back. Let's let Michael Keane do his no-nonsense thing and he'll look great. It's not going to be like that. I don't think he's capable enough on the ball. I don't think he's strong enough mm-hmm. to deal with him having a, if he had a poor first 20 to 30 minutes of a game, I think everyone in that stadium knows it and everyone on that pitch knows it. He is someone who can be got at and that, that really, really worries me about anyone at Everton, but in particular someone who is in charge of keeping the ball out of our net. Um, yeah. I would- Mark, does it, does it affect your opinion that he's been doing all this without a crowd at all? Is that a thing? Um I, or is that overstated? It might be overstated a bit, but I don't think it's a complete non-factor either. I would like to think that it's not a factor, but given everything that, that Michael Keane we hear has, has gone through off the pitch in his time at Everton, it, it, it wouldn't be a massive shock to me to hear him say that it was a release for him to play without a crowd. And I, I don't get me wrong, when, when you go to the game, it's not a 40,000 on one attack against Michael Keane. <laughs> it will be Plenty of other footballers who take more flack personally than him, but he strikes me as someone who enjoys the freedom of of playing, not necessarily without pressure because it's clearly still there, but not under the watchful eye of so many people who are scrutinising your every move. So I, I don't think it, it's ridiculous to bring that up, Rob. No. Well, and, and so Kate, I think the reason I'm bringing this up because I, I think if I, as I bring this up. Um, and I can already see the the tweet that goes out that kind of has the the bullet points for what the show is about. They're going to think, <laughs> okay, here comes Yeri Mina super fan Rob trying to shit on <laughs> Michael Keane. Um, let me let me let me put it th- well. Let me put it this way too. If if Yeri Mina, um, I I rate Yeri Mina as a Yeri Mina's problem is staying fit. But if they're both fit, I believe Yerimina is a more gifted, more talented footballer who, by the way, tiebreaker is two, almost two years younger than Michael. Yeah. That to me is the bigger deciding factor. Um, he's really comfortable on the ball. This He needs to stay fit. And that's a real thing. He's got to figure out a way to get, get through that stuff. But I also kind of don't want to hold these weird post restart injuries against anyone because, you know, Holgate's been, everyone's been injured. There's been a lot of these muscle strains that everyone predicted would happen or whatever, but I don't want to make excuses, but I would tell you this, that when I'm looking at this particular scenario, I'm purely looking at it through an opportunistic lens in that I'm acknowledging that Michael Keane has been good. I'm also looking at him purely as an asset and that asset allocation and that allocate that asset assessment forces me to say to myself, what, what, what is the greatest value to me? The fee I can get from him or him being a probably a backup next season, because if Everton are going to take the step forward that they need to take to me, we think Holgate is one of those pieces. I think Mina could be uh, if he's fit, but he's got something to prove there. I even think that, you know, you could make it for a bit with Keane and Holgate, but I I do think that there's definitely room for improvement in a partnership like that. My thought is simply that Michael Keane is of that particular age. He's also contractually, and this is the other thing that doesn't get talked about, but Michael Keane uh, next season will be going into the second to last season of his deal. So that becomes that window of time where you have to make a decision about – 
you know, do you, are you going to keep him? And if you do, you extend him because otherwise you threaten to lose him for nothing. But at that point, if we get through another full season with Keen, he's a year older. He probably is not uh, playing as much. Uh, can we get the same value we could for him now? And of course he's English and that helps. And you know, there's, yeah. there's all these factors. I'm just thinking of it from purely that standpoint. If you're content and I can hear people saying, well, why aren't you talking about potentially selling Yerry Mina and keeping mm-hmm. Michael Keane? If you want to make the argument that Keane is better than Mina, I'll listen to it. I won't believe it, but I'll, I'll listen to it um, because Keane has performed really well. But what I would say to you is that Michael Keane um, is in a completely different situation because of his age and his contractual status. Yerry Mina, guys, no matter what you think, uh, is Yerry Mina would be because of the fact that he's injured right now in his contract situation. I don't know how many people really think about this. Yerry Mina is one of the highest paid players at Everton uh, by a fair stretch. If you believe the the sport track number contract numbers, Google that sometime. Um, I, I googled it today. He's on one hundred and twenty thousand a week. If that if that if those numbers are correct, damn. So yeah, yeah. Now look, you can be mad at Yerry Mina for that, but. I I think, hey, he's got good agents. Whatever he got yeah, is what he I'm got, right. and that's fine. I'm not going to hold that against him. Yerry Mina, when he's played, has played hard, and he's played well, and he's you know, he's not been perfect, but you know, give me the line of people who have been perfect for Everton. But I think I would say that um, his contract, because it has more time to run on it, and the fact that he's on high wages, and the fact that he has gone through some injuries of late, he's not he, – the idea that you could just move Yerry Mina is not really realistic, whereas Michael Keane is an imminently more movable asset right now. Mm. So, Kate, I'm going to end this with you. I, I, you've been watching these games. Uh, I, I know Michael Keane's probably impressed you to a degree, but mm. w- what do you see as the the better value? For, I know I've been making my case one way or the other, but I'm willing to have my mind changed. Like, no. uh, what, 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 sh- what should we do with Michael Keane? And I, we may not be able to do anything because of the short offseason, but what would you do in, in Marcel Brand's chair? How do you solve a problem like Michael Keane? Uh, I got <laughs> I got to say that uh, I I think that's a that's a convincing argument. Um, I think you know taking a leaf from from Mark's book in terms of you know wanting the club to you know to to be more dynamic and to you know to take a risk. So essentially, when you look at it contractually, then uh, then. I'm just trying to think now. So this is basically like a, it's kind of like a make or break season then for the two of them and that they've got an opportunity to outshine each other as it were. Um, if they were both, if they were both to stay on and they're both battling, you know, for that position for, for every fixture. Um, I think, like you've said, I think the age, you know, kind of, kind of pips Yeri, you know, uh, sorry, pips Michael to the post in that a year on, um, if he has a, a you know a, an okay at best season, it, it's got, it's going to dent that opportunity for us so much. Um, and like you said, you know, for 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 wanting the club to to kind of really take a chance and to put us in a, a better situation, I think for him personally. He would want to be at a club, you know, where especially if his, you know, confidence levels would be through the roof at the minute. He's had a great project restart, you know, get himself into a position where he, he's, you know, he's guaranteed to play. Uh, for me, he's out and Mina's in. Okay. See, I love that the cult of Yeri Mina has enabled me to persuade two more people to join me in the bunker. He's a lovely but, um, guy and he's trying yeah, so look, hard with his English as well. <laughs> yeah, look, look, it's not a, it's, it, this is not a, as much as it can be framed as a Yeri versus Keen discussion, it's more of a 
reality versus what you wish reality yeah. was sort of situation. Now, I will say this. If Carlo comes out and says, Michael Keane is going to be my starting center half alongside Mason Holgate next season, um, I'll have mixed feelings about that. But I would also say Carlo Ancelotti knows a lot more than I do. And if if, if you're saying Michael Keane's going to start most of the games for you, then the discussion's different. Yeah. Um, but what I would, but I, I'm not, I'm I'm not convinced. Let me put it this way: given that we were strongly linked to Gabrielle before the restart, I think this is my hypothesis. I think the plan was before all of this that they were going to move one of their other center halves on. Mm. My guess is that Yerry Mina would be more difficult because of his contract to move on for the fee he would command. Uh, and negotiating terms, and and he's settled pretty well at Everton. He's popular in the community and with the charitable stuff. Like you know, I mean, think he's fine there. Um, and there are, according to conversations I've had with, I think Patty was telling me about this. The club view Yerry Mina as a big uh, draw in terms of building a you know more of a Latin, along with Richarlison of building a Latin American uh, fan base as well. I mean, there's there's a variety of factors. So whatever. Um, Regardless of what you think of Yerry Mina, I just think he's harder harder to move on than Michael Keane is, who I don't think will ever be more valuable given his age, yeah. given that he's English, given how well he's playing right now. And I don't know – like I think Michael Keane in limited doses like this can be really good. But as we've seen with Keane, he'll go stretches where he's really good. Then he'll go through – you know. Bad times. And then we're, we're all asking ourselves how, how we're stuck with this. Why are we, you know, well, now we have a chance to be unstuck. Um, and even if you like Michael Keane, you can't ignore the fact that there is an opportunity there to cash in. And, and to, to Mark's earlier point about taking more risks in the, the transfer window, if I told you that we could get our money back, which I think was about 25 million or so on mm-hmm. Michael Keane, mm-hmm. and we could invest that in two players. Um, and we were already budgeted to get a center half. I mean, I think that you have to think about it. I just think it's one of those things that you can dismiss it out of hand and say, I'm being a hater, but I just think that there's <laughs> an opportunity that, that Marcel Brands will have probably already been considering. And now Keen has done himself the service of making himself a more valuable and attractive asset. It serves him and it serves Everton. So it, it Keen, you know, one of two things will happen. Keen will either get a new contract or he's going to be sold. And I don't know that there's really an in-between there. So, um, yeah, and buy 25 one million pound defenders and just hope <laughs> one of them goes on, goes on to didn't cost <laughs> wasn't that how much uh, Jared Branthwaite costs? Hey, Mark, I think you're on to something here. Random. <laughs> Actual <Calvert>, squad goals. <laughs> I think Calvert Lewin and Jared Branthwaite cost like three and a half million combined or something Jeez. like that. So you're right, Mark, it's quantity. You just, it's like playing the lottery. You just buy as many. Oh, come on. You got to catch them all. Yeah. <laughs> we just make everything into a full, we've essentially been a reality TV experiment for so long. Amazing. So that should yeah. normalize it. Do like who wants to play for Everton? In- <laughs> and get them all in and, the goal at the end is to actually make yourself relevant in this squad and then we'll think about a better contract for you. Oh my God. How did MTV never get on this? Making the team instead of there making the There was some... There was some reality show years no ago way. here in the U.S. that the winner would get a uh, yeah. professional tryout with Everton or something like that. Oh, I can't remember what it was. 
Uh, yeah, look, let me put it this way, guys. You know, you think about all the money we think of generating revenue through a stadium. You get a hit on Netflix and suddenly we are flush with cash, guys. We are flush with cash. We're no longer um, a Premier League team. We're a conglomerate. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, guys, we're, we're, we're at, uh, way, of course, uh, way over our time, which is what I love. Uh, there is no overtime on, on the kickabout. Uh, I, don't, I don't subscribe to the constructs of time. And space. So um, I, I want to thank you guys, though. We've, you know, I went last week with Les. The word Everton was mentioned one time, and that was accidental on my part. Uh, we just <laughs> just went off on all these tangents. But, you know, look, it's, it's amazing how Everton only have to win one game, and suddenly you're like, I'm in the mood to talk about them. I'm in the mood to this consider the proposition oh, of Everton. I'm so fair weather. I just joined. Yay, we're awesome. We're going to win yeah. everything. <laughs> look, yeah. Like, and again, if there's any takeaway from this week's episode, it is that I am going to be, and I'm, I'm going to be doing the transfer pod tomorrow with Matt and I think I think Mike Diasha. I'm not totally sure who's joining, but Matt definitely would be Matt and me for sure. Um, I am going to be the advocate for having a long memory about about the players that we've got when it comes to making these sorts of decisions. And I've enjoyed, like, and it, you know, that's where I, that's probably the origin of this whole Keen thing, which is love these last few games, but I remember the full Michael Keen experience. <laughs> and I have, if I can sell them for a lot of money, I want to do it. I want to be ruthless and creative and uh, take risks like Mark is, is advocating for. So, look, it's going to be uh, the, the window opens the day after the season ends. Uh, on Sunday. So uh, I am sure that not only will I have plenty to talk about because I think we're in a position to relegate Bournemouth, which to me is like winning a trophy. And then <laughs> we'll have post-match, which I'm sure will be extended because of you know talking about end of season and going into the summer and all those sorts of things. And we'll have our usual content coming up. Um, Subscribers Weekly uh, was great this week. Uh, the Weekly, I think, was just recorded. Uh, so you'll have that. Uh, you'll have post-match this weekend. Uh, mailbag. I'm sure another 11s will be coming up there's just so much content we are just exploding with content here on the blue room uh for mark and for kate i'm rob and i will see you guys again next week take care progressive presents don't do it yourself okay read me the manual using a phillips screwdriver what was that this sounds like another language to me okay maybe we should bundle our home and auto with progressive we could save big then pay someone to do it for us maybe What's next? Next, Pony Ostium Pronus and Terra. Was that one Latin? Save when bundling home and auto with Progressive and use the money to, you know, not do it yourself. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.